1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 334 of the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah.
0: Hey, Megan. How are you?
1: I'm excited about a few different things. First of all, this is another listener questions episode, which we always love. Um, But I'm also excited that by the time everybody is listening to this episode, we will be en route to be together in person.
0: I mean, this is very, very exciting. Since the pandemic started, so those of you who follow along closely, we went about 18 months without seeing each other from November 2019 till May of 2021. Is that this year? I don't even know what year it is. Yes. Just a few months ago. And that's a very long time for us because we live across the country. And the last few years, we've averaged three or four times a year, you know, usually three times a year, at least seeing each other. So we went 18 months. We got together here in Santa Barbara. That was great. Great. And we are now convening in Chicago, in the Windy City, this week, starting today, if you're listening to this, um, for, I don't know, like, it's, it's I'm really excited. We should tell everybody what we're
1: doing. Well, we should. And I just want to point out that when we get together, it's kind of like a great combo of fun friend time and really concentrated work time. So there are definitely ideas and new projects and things that we kind of won't move on unless we get together. It feels yeah. like, like things tend to kind of stall out because I think getting together just gives us both like the time to talk things through deeper in like a deeper way, you know, where we're like lounging around and, and taping giant post-its to the wall and writing mm-hmm. on them in marker and things like that. And so we just, we just make a lot of progress when we're together and we have a lot of t- fun, but this time we have a very specific um, one very specific thing we're doing and that's a photo shoot. We've not, we've had one professional photo shoot together once.
0: Two, two, two. Oh, what? one in a hotel room in Denver. And yeah. One that's what I'm thinking the, of. It, oh, what about Texas with the bad hair? Oh my hair? gosh.
1: Yes. Okay. I forgot. <laughs> that's like our much more recent one. Well, that was so quick and we were doing it with like someone else, right? Like with, with a couple other friends. No, so no, I felt... no,
0: The one where Seth came and we were in the desert. Remember oh, we walked around.
1: Oh my goodness. So not in Austin, <laughs> but outside of Austin. I completely forgot about that because our hair was so bad.
0: I mean, no offense, Texans, but it was no, and a no serious... offense, Seth. He did a
1: great job, but like yeah. our hair was awful. It was bad. It was yeah. bad. Okay, so we've had three. I take that. Well, we've had two and a half. I'm gonna. I'm not yeah. gonna count the one in Austin, really, just because it was like super impromptu yes. on on a street corner. Yeah. Um. The point being, it's been a while. So that one was like three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um. That one in that Seth did, and um, it's just fun to have them, and like it's good for our. You know, we need them for our website, and I guess yeah. that's where. We can tease the other thing we're working on. Sarah, you want to talk yeah. about this?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, photos are good to have, like you said, for all business purposes. But we have needed a new branding look, logo, mostly logo and the cover art you see on your in your podcast app. I mean, for years. And this is a classic, like Megan and Sarah, kind of like kicking the can down the road, overthinking, well, we're not going to do it now because we're going to, you know, this new project is happening, or we're not going to do it now because we're using money for this. And so years and years later on a homegrown DIY, you know, branding kit that we made up six and a half years ago, we are professionalizing the visual look of our website and our logo and our colors and our fonts and all that fun stuff. Um, And yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really change the podcast at all. It doesn't really change the navigation of our website. It's sort of like, it's the frosting on top of it all. Right. So it's really exciting. We, we have the look, we've seen it. We just have not unveiled it because we're this photo shoot will kind of bring all the parts and pieces together. It's a lot of work. I have so much respect for people who work in, you know, branding and graphic design and photography. And there's just a lot, a lot going on, um, long overdue. And I think we're really excited just to show you all.
1: Yeah, we're really, and I think that we really hit on a, a look that also feels very us, um, but like a refreshed us, which is great. Cause I think one, you know, like you said, Sarah, there's all these these reasons that got in the way of us doing this. And I think for a little bit, you know, we've gotten attached to our old look, even though we knew it needed a refresher, we also were like, but we've had it for so long. And like what if we can't, you know, what if we can't find a redesign that really still feels like us and and I don't know, yeah. has our um just our feel to it. And I think we, I think people are going to be really excited about this. And, um, so yeah, so that will be unveiled in the next month or so as well.
0: Yeah. So we'll do the photos this week. Um, definitely watch our Instagram. We will try to do some behind the scenes. Sometimes we get so caught up in what we're actually doing. We don't have like an Instagram husband following us around, like shooting B-roll, but we will try. To bring you all in behind the scenes a little bit. So watch the Instagram this week and then really in the next, I would say three to four weeks, um, hopefully start to see those visual changes everywhere that you interact with us visually. It's so funny, Megan. You think it's like, okay, it's a logo, it's a new color palette. And then you start to realize how much of your brand is out there everywhere. And, and for us internally, we're like, oh right, the media kit. Oh, right. Um, right. you know, this one place where that logo lives. And so yeah, you'll start to see it, I think, in early to mid November.
1: Yep. We're excited. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious.
0: Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of factor meals. We tried And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go.
1: Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle.
0: Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com momhour50 and use code MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
2: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole?
0: Okay. So we have some great listener questions to get to. Thanks to everybody who sent in both emails and voicemails. Our first one comes from Carly came via an email and it's about leaving a two and a half year old at church childcare, church daycare. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but Carly has a baby and a two and a half year old. And as the pandemic restrictions started to lift, they started to want to go back to church in person. Very excited. Um, left her with church child care the first time and it went great it has not gone great having her in the service with them as anyone with a toddler I'm sure it's all nodding nodding your head and so then what kind of happened from there is her little one does not want to go back to child care says I promise I'll be quiet during the service but this is this is a toddler this is a little one um, so it's been hard for Carly to know how much to force or require like nope you're gonna go to nursery this week you're going to Sunday school that's what's happening um, Versus kind of follow the child's lead and maybe start slow, maybe try having her sit still with them in service. So I'm paraphrasing here because she sent us this beautiful long email. Um, but I think what I'm hearing, or the way I digested it, Megan, is there's the, the drop off at preschool or daycare that's like not negotiable. Like you're going to work, mm-hmm. the, you have to drop the child off. And we've talked on the show and these listener questions about the tears that can happen, you know, the separation anxiety that's really normal and typical and hard. When you're leaving your child because you have to, because you're going to work or you're, this is their school and there's not like a lot of wiggle room. And I think what I'm hearing here about church and for me, it was the gym. Very similar mm-hmm. is like, it <laughs> was wasn't the gym. <laughs> totally necessary, right? For right. me or the child, like we could skip or in this case, it does sound like having her sit with them in the church service, it's not a no, it's not a no go. It's not off the table. And so that what that has created is some confusion in the setting of the boundaries. And so I'll just read the end of Carly's email. She says, so I guess my question is, how have you dealt with leaving your children in someone else's care when they are uncomfortable, meaning the child? I think Carly feels very comfortable about the, you know, the, the care providers at church. Yeah. What are some tools or methods you've found to help your children cope with the stress or anxiety of being left and where do you draw the line from pushing them out of the comfort zone versus giving them some autonomy in the decision? Um, and so and she acknowledged as well, in many situations, there's no choice. But here there is. And that's where it gets tricky. So I thought I thought we'd have plenty to say on this. And I'm sure listeners are nodding along because there are these situations where, you know, you, you can give in if you want.
1: Yeah, well, and that comes through like, you know, kids can read that on us. Right. Mm-hmm, so. Yeah. The fact that it's a negotiable, that it's a maybe, you know, maybe this time and maybe not next time. Um, She said that it went really well the first time, Um, but a two and a half year old is wily enough and wise enough to know that just because it went well the first time, maybe there's something even better in that church service or they'd rather be with mom and dad. I think this is such a personal thing because there were definitely situations for me like um, leaving a ki- like leaving a little one in a church daycare where they're crying their eyes out and you can actually hear them sometimes. <laughs> like to me, that stress was often not worth it. Whereas for me going to the gym, I kind of started drawing a stronger line because I really wanted to go to the gym and there was no time for me to get it in if I didn't go, if I didn't use the gym Um, daycare. So mm-hmm. um, I think maybe Carly getting really clear about whether to her, this is like is truly a non-negotiable or not. It's probably the first step because if she's wavering and she doesn't really know whether she really wants to use the church nursery or whether she's just fine with it, but it's also okay with her to handle the hassle of having a two and a half year old in service and a lot of churches that's welcomed. um, And some it's not, you know, so uh, I guess it's, it's almost like I'm not sure there's many tools I can offer that would help a two and a half year old be super excited about something they're not super excited about, except the same ones we would use for any other situation. It's more like the mom. It's like the mom and dad making sure they're on the same page and not giving mixed messages either, because that's another whole thing, right? Like if, if mom is like, no, you have to go here and dad's wavering and going, well, but maybe we'll come get you after five minutes if you cry or, you know, whatever they can pick up on that. So I think maybe just getting really, really clear about what Carly wants is probably the first step.
0: Yep. I was going to say the same thing that it has to be the first step because everything else you do stems from that. And it's hard to hold boundaries with a toddler as a mom, but it's a lot harder if you're not really sure what boundary you're holding or if you're not aligned as a couple. And I would also say even above or, or equal to making sure you're clear is also making sure you feel comfortable and safe with the care being provided. It sounds like from this email she does, but if you're going to hold a firmer boundary with your two and a half year old, that will be easier if you feel awesome about the care that they're that they're getting and that 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 there's empathy and experience on the other end, because you may decide to put up with some tears or to put up with some, uh, you know, just unhappiness on the part of the two and a half year old, which is hard, but it's easier when you feel like they're experienced nurturing caregivers, uh, which it sounds like she does. So I would say, yeah. yes, be- making sure you're clear about what you want making sure you feel really good about the care that's being provided. And then if you decide it's important and you do want to hold the boundary and she is going to go every week, I think a couple, a couple of things that will make it easier is consistency. I mean, obviously if someone gets sick or if you're skipping church every other week, life happens, you can't help that. But I do think preschool aged kids have a lot easier time if they can repeat the experience and almost feel the, incremental improvement each week. Like, okay, that was a little bit easier. I remember where the blocks are. I have a friend that I see every week now. And if you're, if you're going once and then skipping for a month and then going again, it can really feel like starting over every time. Mm-hmm. And maybe that can't be helped, but I do think it, it helps get over the hardest part soonest. Um, and then it sounds like this is a really very wise two and a half year old. She's, I mean, she's negotiating on the way to church. Like I'll be really quiet, mommy, I promise. So that is a very um. You know, a pretty precocious two and a half year old. I think you can use use that to your advantage if she is really sophisticated and understands and is a good communicator. And you can just make a plan. Like today, we're going to go to church nursery. Mommy's going to walk you down the hall. Mommy's going to give you a hug, and then I'm going to leave and I will come back in. You know, when the long hand is on the six, and then we're going to go home and we're going to make lunch. I mean, walking them through the steps so that you're delivering on whatever plan you set out. And I do think that really does eventually help kids feel more secure it's not that she's not going to like it but there's been it sounds like there's been more back and forth more unpredictability and in the end and and that's not it's not a bad thing you didn't do anything wrong right in the end that that child will respond to you doing the thing you said you were going to do even if they don't like it if that makes sense and I think you can meet them halfway you can say you know I know this is really hard for you We're going to practice. And today you're going to go for 20 minutes. After 20 minutes, mommy's going to come check and you can sit quietly with us in service next week. It's going to be 30 minutes or whatever, like whatever feels right to you. But once you decide and make that plan with your very precocious, very smart little one, then I would say stick to it because that's how they'll know that you're, you know, you're going to deliver on the plan.
1: Right. And the minute they see it, you know, especially a precocious, um, two-year-old, the minute they see a chink in the armor, Right. um uh, they know they see it like they they're very smart about that kind of thing, and they'll know if you're wavering um and wavering is not necessarily the same as meeting in the middle, meeting in the middle and and saying this is how it's going to be, but still maintaining control is different from saying, well, we'll see or you know right. we'll see yes <laughs> um I wanted to add one other thing and it and I agree, Sarah, that it does sound like um Carly's really comfortable with the the caregivers and that they're you know good nurturing caregivers and I would just add that in a church daycare situation, the caregivers may be wonderful with your child, but not great at the transition part because they probably, if, you know, like most churches I've been to, the daycare people on Sundays are not professional child caregivers. Like they're not people who are used to doing this every single day right. where they have to deal with like uh, being the meanie, you know, yeah. who, who holds a boundary. Like it might be someone who just really wants to do this for, because they love children and like they'll play, you know, they'll play and and hold your baby and be really, really nurturing. But they might also feel like if you're giving mixed messages and it's the kind of church daycare where people kind of come and go, they might not really understand where you stand either. So they might not be holding a firm line because they aren't getting the right message from you to hold that firm line. And I just find that when it's anything where it's very, very part time, or you have like a, a, maybe a very loving, nurturing crew where you feel super safe leaving your ch- your child there, that doesn't always mean that they're in the business of doing this day in and day out and like holding a, a yeah. firm boundary with other people's kids. So that's another thing, like just the firmer you can be, the more relieved like everyone will be, I think. Yes,
0: that's yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I will say that I once quit a gym. This is before I found my second gym where Violet did go a lot to the childcare. But the first one, when she was like 18 months or a year, we tried it once. Or I even think I just inquired and did a tour and my older two kids did fine. And I was like, nope, take me off the membership. Cause I'm never going to, I'm always going to have a toddler with me and I'm never going to leave her here. And it's not worth the tears. This situation does not feel worth the tears for the <laughs> workout I would get. So I guess like as much as we were talking about like holding boundaries and doing what's important to you, that can also mean we're not going to church for the next year. We're going to do virtual or we're going to like, you know, take turns staying home with the toddler. That's also totally within your you know, power to decide.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next voicemail that we have, um, question comes from Emily and she is facing a dilemma that I know that you and I, Sarah, and most parents have had at one point or another, and that is just really desperately needing a date night, but having a bunch of kids that are young and
3: can't be left alone. So, um, let's give that a listen. Hi, Megan and Sarah, this is Emily. I have four kids, ages nine, four, and twin, 20-month-olds. And as our kids get a little bit bigger, we're a little bit more optimistic about potentially having some date nights. But we're really struggling in the child care department. We don't live near family that is capable of taking care of all four of our kids. And all of our friends who would provide some free childcare have children of their own. So asking them to take on our four just seems like a lot. As I'm sure you know, paying a babysitter can be really pricey too. So I just didn't know if you had any advice. Did you ever split kids up on date nights um, and ask a couple to go to one house and some to another? Um, did you find an easy way to pay a babysitter, you know, do a set rate or something like that? Any advice that you could give would be greatly appreciated. We desperately need to get out and away from our children. Thank you.
0: Oh, yeah, we've definitely both been there, Megan, and I think talked about it on the show. I mean, nine, four and not even two year old twins is like not just something you can hire the high schooler down the street to come in, um, at least not not easily. It takes a while to get there with sitters. And, you know, cost is definitely a factor. Um, It sounds like Emily was interested in some like outside the box ideas. And so especially because she has kind of the two olders and then the twin younger. So I was just going to offer something that I did um, when I wasn't ready to have a teenager put all three of my young kids to bed, probably when they were like one, three and five. So a mom friend and I traded um, where we would trade date night opportunities. And when it was our turn to go out, Brian and me, um, my friend would come over to our house um, and she would leave her boys at home with their dad. So that was just be, you know, just her. And she would put the older two to bed. Usually I'd put the toddler to bed first, and then she would read a book and put the older two to bed. She had known my kids since they were born. It wasn't really like a babysitter. It was more like a friend doing a favor. And that felt really good. For us, for those years, it was free because we traded. So there was no cost involved. And then, like Emily said, like, she has friends who are willing to help, but they all have their own kids. And in this case, we, we got around that by having our partner, our co-parent, stay home with our own kids. So you really did. You had to give up a night with your own partner to get one back right. at the trade. So you know, it was free, and it worked really well. And I felt totally comfortable with it for a year or so. And that worked really well for us.
1: And I really never had, when my kids were this age, and by the way, I did not have twins, but I had, um, you know, I, I had five kids and some, some were always small for a long time um, <laughs> yeah. and close, you know, close-ish in age together. So I think, I can't even really remember if we ever had the typical teenage babysitter. We really cobbled together care from friends, um, relatives. Sometimes that might look like a date afternoon, so mm-hmm. not a yes. date night. And the kids would go play at, you know, um, Uncle John and Jenna's place with their with the cousins or maybe they'd go to a friend's house who had similar aged kids. Um, we did a lot of that kind of thing. And we did a lot of like settling the house and then going out later. I don't think we ever had a teenage sitter. Because for me, it never really seemed like it was going to get the results that we wanted. (laughs) Like, I just wasn't convinced I was going to get, like, I was going to actually have a fun, relaxed time. Um, I think the, how all of your kids interact together makes so much of a difference. Like, um, are your twins together the kind of twins that, like, don't go down to bed easily? Or do the older siblings get them riled up? Or, you know what I mean? Like, there's so many factors at play. That are individual to your family, that I think um, you might find that like something that we tried wouldn't work for you, or maybe there's like some other creative approach. But I don't know that I ever actually had an experience where like took a group of my kids and you know, split them into groups and then had them with two different sitters. It would be more likely that like one would be off, like an older kid would be off at a sleepover, say, and like another kid might be doing his own thing, and then the youngest would be with a relative. It was Mm -hmm. more, it was much more cobbled together. And um, it really wasn't until the youngest was like three and the oldest was, you know, a a full on teenager that we really got out much, to be honest.
0: Yes, I I, I agree. I think there's just this sort of dark time. Maybe that sounds too (laughs) negative. There's like a period of time where it is often not worth the cost and the hassle for a lot of families. And some of you listening maybe never went through that, but I definitely did. And it sounds like you did where it just wasn't a super high priority. And at the same time, I think there are ways to get that date feeling. It could be a day date. It could be, I mean, you can get, you could get really creative. If you have the ability to take some PTO time or to take an afternoon Mm. off work and the kids are in their childcare situation, or it could be that you like once a year do a night away and like, you know, then, then you're calling in the big guns, like the grandparents and whatever, and you don't get date nights in between. Um, I don't know. I feel like. It does get better. It gets a lot better when the youngest child or in this case, two children um, are potty trained sleeping through the night and can verbally communicate the list of available sitters like the, like the ability to call in like the college student from down the block or whatever and not worry about like telling them every last thing about what your child eats and likes and how their lovey needs right. to be before they go to bed. Like it just really it alleviated, I think, also for us when the youngest was about three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so next up, we have a voicemail from Dana, and let's listen to that now.
2: Hi, Megan and Sarah. I've been listening a lot this summer to all the different episodes about making mom friends and everything, and I really love your insights. But something I have found that
1: I'm oftentimes either quite a bit older than the moms of my
2: kids' friends or quite a bit younger. Sometimes it's hard to make friends when you don't have a shared background of experience. I was kind of wondering if you would share with us of what made you to have decide to have kids at the ages you did, or maybe the decision was out of your hands. Love the podcast.
1: Keep it coming. Bye. Okay, Dana, so I don't think that you um shared how old your kids are. I will just say that this has been something I have definitely gone through um, more. I you know, I was a really young mom, and for for years, I was considerably younger than the moms of my kids, friends, and peers. And it was hard at first, but like the age difference was like, I was 21 and they were like 35. I mean, that's a pretty big difference. Yeah, I have found as I, as my kids have gotten older and I've gotten older, that age simply seems to matter less. Um, I more think that what matters, kind of where I see like having a harder time Connecting is just different stages of life. So, like, I I have friends who are ten or more years older than me, but they have uh, teenagers in high school, and I have teenagers in high school. So, you know, we have a lot in common. Whereas, um, it would be harder for me right now to like become really close with like a first time mom of a baby. I think, Mm -hmm. and not that you know, obviously, they would bring a lot to the table, and so would I, and they might be a lovely person, and we might have a lot in common. It's just that the differences in um just like everything from what your day-to-day life looks like and what your focus is and everything is so very different that I and I just don't even really meet those people anymore. Like I'm not meeting a lot of super young moms with new little kids in my day-to-day life. So I'm not exactly sure how to answer that the question about um you know why we decided to have kids at the ages that we did because Um, I didn't exactly choose it, but even if I had, it's kind of like, I don't know that making friends would have factored in. Like, I don't know that that would have been one of the factors that would have informed it for me, because I do think there are ways to connect with people at either end of the spectrum age wise. So I don't know, Sarah, what do you think?
0: I agree. I don't think either of us went into our family planning or lack of planning you know, with this particular thing in mind. But I also wonder, Dana is at the older end of her mom peers. So the mom peers being the people, they may not be your age, but their kids are your kids age. And Mm. neither you or I have really experienced that where we're on the older end. And I wonder, I'm, I'm just speculating. So I'm not like, I'm not projecting on Dana, but I do wonder just with like how our society and culture deals with women in their forties and fifties. Right. If I would have a harder time. So I'm 41. Let's say I had two year olds, like a two year old and a four year old. Um, and all the moms around me in my same, if the mom peers were 28 to 35, that might feel a little different than you and I having, I I've mostly been roughly in the middle or a little bit young and you were quite young relative to your mom peers. So I wonder if part of it is, we as women are sometimes uncomfortable with like, how do we relate to someone 10 years younger than we are? Are we, are we their mentor? Like, are we like, are we, can we start on equal friendship footing? And I guess what I would say to Dana is the, the phase of life where it appears as though your new friend group must be the parents of your exact like age, same kids, same age kids is a relatively fleeting time period. Mm -hmm. There is Mm -hmm. a time when that peer group is really important in the first few years you're meeting all the preschool moms and all the daycare moms. And I can see how it would feel kind of jarring if you felt wildly like at one age extreme or the other. But I think as kids get older, it's less of a given that their friends, parents will be your peer group. And there's like a wonderful, uh, expanding that happens to your friendship opportunities. And if you feel like it's really important that you have friends your age, those friends, they're available to you in your community, um, but they may not be the same women who are parenting your kids ages. Does that make sense? So like, yes, totally. almost like trying to solve too many, trying to look for too many same, same factors to solve a certain type of friendship. And I just think in all of our episodes about friendship, we've kind of talked about like different people fill, fill different roles. And certainly fellow school parents or fellow daycare parents is actually really important. It can be a very like a wonderful part of your friend community, but it's not the only one. So if those people aren't your age and you're craving same age friends, then maybe there are same age friends that are available to you, but the kids don't match up and that's okay. It doesn't all have to match up, I guess, is what I'd say.
1: Now, thinking about this, Sarah, you're so right. I have a lot of I'm in my 40s and I have a lot of friends in their early 30s. The difference is they're not mom friends. There are people that I met through totally different um, for different reasons in different contexts. And I now have the space in my life because I don't have little, little kids anymore to nurture those friendships. Um, Whereas 10 years ago, I just I simply would not have like I wouldn't have. I probably wouldn't have had a lot of friends that weren't moms, period, because my life was so revolving around mom life. Um, but I did eventually end up meeting a lot of people through the theater community and things like that, who are quite a bit younger. And eventually those, a lot of them will become moms and that'll be really fun. Um, but it's, it's so not like the center of our friendship, the center of my mom centric friendships are more likely to be with people my age or somewhat older than me, like somewhat to quite a bit older than me. And as you say, Sarah, over the years, it just becomes less important. Like a lot of the people I hang out with now, their kids and my kids don't even know each other. Yeah. So it's, exactly. you know, we, we all have them. We can talk about mom stuff, but there's not like, they're not playing together in the next room right. while we're talking. And it's one of those things that's like, it's when you're in that stage, it can be very lonely if you're not connecting with those people, but it, it really does pass. Yeah. Agreed. wearable well-being for your feet
2: what makes a life a good one is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect defend and save what you believe in every single day so what makes a life a good one In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
0: Okay, we're back. And our next question came into our email inbox from Jessica, who said very nice things about the podcast. Thank you, Jessica. She became a mom right at the start of the pandemic and is a new mom and found our Mother's Day episode and has been listening So now fast forward, and she is, I believe, a stay-at-home mom to an 18-month-old little boy, and I'm going to read her email now, or this part of her email. Jessica says, I'm embarrassed to say that many days I feel like I run out of things to do with my son, or I begin to feel almost bored because he just repeats the same thing over and over. And sometimes I put time and effort into making a fun activity, and he'll play with it for like 10 minutes, and then he's done, and it just doesn't seem worth it, especially if it means he is then soaking wet or dirty. During the warm months, it has helped to do outdoor activities to break up the morning, but he wakes up at 6.30 or 7, goes down for a nap at 1. I do enjoy playing with him, of course, but six-ish hours sometimes feels very long. I keep thinking, is it normal to feel this way? Do other moms feel like this too, or am I just not a good enough mom? Am I doing enough to help him develop and learn adequately? I'd love to have another child, but I'm not even sure I could handle it. I have such guilt as I work part-time, have nice play spaces for him, and overall, have a happy and healthy kid I could not be more grateful for. he brings us so much joy. How could I even complain? Lastly, I live in Michigan, and winter is coming <laughs> so first megan i I was assuming she was a stay at home mom. She actually works part time in addition, but it sounds like she's staying home days and these are long days with a toddler who you know toddlers aren't that much fun to hang out with. They make a big mess, and winter is coming. So what do we have to say?
1: Well, I think it would be a very first of all um Your feelings are completely normal, Jessica. I think like every mom in the world has asked herself these exact same questions. And I just want to say like the um, expectation that you're going to love playing with a toddler for six to seven hours is like a really big expectation for anyone to put on themselves. Yet we moms tend to put that expectation on ourselves. And then we wonder why we're not having a ball. Um, They don't really play back, at least not the way we would like... In a way that makes sense to us, they can be dirty and busy and boring. um, And that's all 100% true. So you can have this conflict where you realize how precious these moments are and you realize they're only little once and they're so adorable and they're sweet and all of those things. And at the same time, you're like, but I am bored out of my mind or I'm just frustrated or every day feels the same. And like that is, that is like the tension of being um, either a stay at home mom or just a mom who spends a lot of time with little, little kids. And I think that, um, I wouldn't let it sway you from wanting to have another, because for me actually adding more kids to my family alleviated some of this, both in that it gave the kids something to do besides me, like besides, you know, mess with me. And also in that it helped me readjust my expectations and really kind of throw up my hands and go, okay, what, what has to change here? So for me, it was ultimately a really positive thing to add more people to kind of dilute that experience. Um, But, and also, I guess just to address the development, you know, if you've got a little one that you're talking to, who is watching you do things during the day, who is hearing um, you have conversation, if there's books and toys around and they have room to roam and stretch their legs and like play and roll and all those things, they are developed. Like you don't have to do more than that. Like there's nothing... You're not there to be their preschool teacher. You're there to be their mom. It's a relationship, not a job. And I just think that, that we should all let go of that expectation because um, development happens when that's what their job, like a little kid's job is to develop yeah. and learn. And so if you, if you create an environment for that, they're going to do that most of the time, it, you know, barring like a delay or something, in which case you'd be getting professional help because that still wouldn't be like your, like in your job description, I guess. Agreed. Yeah.
0: So much agree. Um, I was going to say the same thing about adding a baby made things busier for me and eventually easier. I, I think one-on-one, I still confess that when I had three kids and the older two were off in preschool or kindergarten and I was home with a third toddler, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the hardest thing in the world. And I was a seasoned third time mom. And I was like, please don't leave me alone in the house with an 18 month old. <laughs> like I need the siblings because there's more there's more life happening in our house. And yeah, it's messier and it's busier and it's more sleep deprived. But I agree. I think in some ways adding a child um, like uh, diversified my brain in a way that wasn't so like so focused on the one and I agree with the way toddler brains develop. I, I think I feel for moms in this pandemic who've only had pandemic babies because advice I would give in non-pandemic times right. is that a toddler brain develops by honestly being your little sidekick in the real world. If you like to go on hikes or go to the or go shopping or stroll Target or um what else might you want to do during the day, like. Catch up on housework. Like your toddler learns by being a sidekick as you live your life in a way that you enjoy. Now, I guess if you're like, if you want to go clubbing in the middle of the day, there's some some things that maybe aren't uh, conducive to having a toddler sidekick. But many of the things that you would just go do out in the world are awesome for toddler development, and they're learning and they're pointing, and you're less bored because you're getting out of the house. I just feel like that advice is so pandemic tempered now that and yeah. and um Jessica did say that they've been fairly cautious so i don't know how much of whatever felt joyful and fulfilling to you before baby like i don't know how much of it you could bring back safely and have a little toddler sidekick but i i would encourage you to think about that you know going into the library or going to going to places that you enjoy versus trying to come up with things for him to enjoy mm. at home because he they, they don't give you a lot of feedback. Those 18 right. month olds, not the good kind of feedback.
1: And even when they enjoy something, they enjoy it for like she said, like 10 minutes yeah. and then they're done. So, yes, I 100 I percent agree, Sarah. I would just like to say that if anyone wants to start a daytime rave club <laughs> um, for moms with toddlers, I would back that. Like I will totally um, help write that business plan because that sounds kind of crazy and fun. But yeah, like right now, I'm not a hundred percent sure, depending on your community and your comfort level and everything else, like what is available for you to do. I know for me being out and about was really helpful when I had little ones, but also, so was just like me being more mindful or, um, intentional, but what I felt like truly my job was and the house still had to get run. And so mm-hmm. things like things that you can do that actually, you can say, I, like, there's um, a marker of success. Like, for example, if your kitchen's clean, it's clean. Like, you know that it's clean because you're looking at it and you all the dishes are in the dishwasher or whatever, right? Like, that's something that you can do that is actually help, like, with your child nearby and talking to them, interacting with them. But it's something you have a little control over that actually gives you a sense of accomplishment. Whereas, you know, having a dirty kid who wants to play And for them playing, you know, means like smacking a ball against the side of the couch or whatever it is that they're doing, like that doesn't always have that same feeling, which doesn't mean it's not valuable to do that. And, um, you know, Sarah, you and I could do a whole episode, what we have about playing with toddlers and um, how not fun that can be. Um, And I know that there is, you know, there's a lot of China truisms that go around about how you know, your job is to play with them. And like, you'll one day you'll look back and wish that they, but okay, whatever. When you're in the moment, that is not how you feel. Right. That's, that is like a very like, okay, now my kids are in college and I can look back and you see all the moments I miss. You don't remember all like, I don't know. You don't remember what that actually felt like in that moment. It's all become a little, a little foggy and fuzzy. So I agree. Yeah.
0: Um, can we really quickly address the um, how could I even complain? I could not be more mm-hmm. grateful for this kid because I we just touched on this um, last week when we talked about hard times. And I do think I got, as a mom of toddlers, one of my biggest releases was being able to complain mostly to my peer group. Like I had a great group of mom friends might have been on Twitter or seeing other moms complain on Twitter um, it's not for everybody. And I think you can get bogged down in the snark and and it can lead to feeling negative. But I just want to say to Jessica, you are allowed to complain. You are allowed right. to complain about being home with a toddler for six hours, like period, full stop. There's no um, like we talked about in that episode when we talked about comparative suffering and feeling like we're not entitled to be having a hard time because we're privileged in XYZ ways just um, to push back against that a little bit. And of course, you love this little boy, and of course, you know that you're very fortunate and all of that. And I found complaining quite helpful at times, <laughs> in in measured amounts, right. with perspective. Um, It was, you know, like the things that happen to you when you are a mom of m- many small people. Like you're barfed on, you're yeah. you haven't slept. Like for me, humor and snark and complaining was a really integral part of my overall. Um, like mental health, it, not the only thing, because I think that could that could trend toward unhealthy. But you're allowed to complain.
1: Yes, yes, you are. Please do, yeah. please, please, please do. Well, this last question comes from Brady. Um, and this is one that Sarah, I'm not sure either you or I will have a lot of concrete, specific advice, but we really feel we really felt for Brady listening to this voicemail, and I think both of us probably have if not actually our kids, grandparents, people in our lives um, who we have difficult relationships with for a variety of reasons and, and aren't sure how to, you know, really hold those boundaries and things like that. So we definitely wanted to play her question. So let's listen to that now.
2: Hey, Megan and Sarah, this is Brady from Franklin, Tennessee. Um, I am a longtime listener of the show. Um, And I've noticed that you two don't talk much about grandparent relationships um, other than Sarah having the luxury of living five minutes away from her parents. Um, But I would love to hear if either of you have any experience with grandparents that are too attached, um, overly involved, borderline obsessive, borderline codependent, Um, My mom is all of the above with my kids. There are zero boundaries and it's definitely created problems in the past that we have worked through. And I know that it all stems from wounds and rejection in other areas uh, in her life. She just has a deep need to be needed. I know this and yet it's beyond frustrating for me. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I am obviously so grateful that she loves my kids so much and she just wants to have a relationship with them. Um, But I fear that this kind of relationship is not healthy for anyone. Um, I tend to just let it go and not address it with my mom because my kids thankfully remain more or less unaffected. They can separate from her and come home and just jump right back into normal life. And I'm not having to deal with any sort of ramifications. Um, But I just, I can't shake the feeling of just being bothered by it. Um, So I guess what I'm asking is, do you have any experience with dealing with this kind of almost toxic grandparent relationship? And I hate to use that word because I know that my mom has good intentions. I just don't know what to do about it. If anything. Um, thanks ladies. I love you guys.
1: Okay, Brady. So again, like we just really want to validate you. Um, I cannot say who in my, in my life, but there are definitely people who I would say I have not the healthiest relationships with. Sometimes it has affected my kids and sometimes not. Um, I have found reading about boundaries and codependency to be very helpful because um, codependency takes more than one person. Like that's the like codependent. There's mm-hmm. got to be a, a co. So sometimes it's surprising the way, and I'm not suggesting Brady's doing this, but I'm just saying sometimes it's surprising the way it turns out we're feeding codependency. So mm-hmm. I would just, if she hasn't already done this, I would just be I would be, uh, I would just encourage Brady to do some reading about what codependency actually looks like, how to set healthy boundaries. Um, it's not always what you'd think, especially because Brady, these are your parents. So they're not magically new people. Like these are the same people who raised you. And so you might not even really realize the ways, like the subtle ways you continue to kind of help, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Perpetuate, perpetuate perpetuate certain dynamics. So I would just say that without getting too much into specifics, um, about, you know, people in my family or anything like that. I just think it's like, you learn, you learn patterns, um, subconsciously and they're like ingrained into you sometimes. And it, it can be really, really hard to shake them and let them go. And now you've got another generation of, you know, children involved. And so it's like, it's just a good idea, I think.
0: I think that's great. I That's really interesting to me. And I was just going to compliment Brady on you sound really self-aware and you sound like you're taking this with a lot of care for everyone involved. And I think that's a really good place to start. And it, it may not look pretty the whole time like whatever you decide to do and I can tell by listening to her voice that this is like this is a deep-rooted thing it's not like I mean it's it's in front of them and it's affecting their lives all the time I one of the reasons we wanted to play this question was not because we had good answers but because we think it's we think it's much more common than maybe Brady you think or anybody out there thinks it's really hard to talk about parent and parent-in-law dynamics with your kids um, most of the grandparent generation is pretty savvy on the internets these days. They probably mm-hmm. follow you on the Insta. They're probably your friend on Facebook. I know in our Facebook group, we have a lot of like confessional type posts that they, they don't start out to be grandma bashing or in-law bashing, but, um, it is something a lot of people deal with. And it's very tricky to, um, to productively chat about this without, without, hurting anybody's feelings because mm-hmm. we're all tiptoeing. And and that goes for you and me too, Megan. I mean, you all listening have noticed we don't talk in detail about a lot of our like tough adult relationships that may or may not involve our kids because it's also important to us to be private and respectful. So like, I wish we could be like, oh my gosh, Brady, you have no idea. My mother-in-law, da, 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 da. If that were true, I wouldn't say it on this podcast because right. that's not the right forum for it. And I, I just feel for people because it is like, we need a safe space sometimes to troubleshoot this stuff. And often there are many ears listening is what I'll say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but we did think it would be a great idea to maybe open it up to listeners who have found themselves in a situation to send us an email with words of encouragement, advice, maybe things that they've tried that have worked, um, or even just uh, another perspective, like kind of, like we were just talking about venting and complaining, like being that private, you know, venting and complaining um, sounding board for Brady. And we are happy to forward those messages on. So if you want to email us at hello at themomhour.com, we are happy to, um, to share those with Brady or really anyone who's been on. Like if you hear something and it just, you think, oh man, like I really wish I could reach out to Carly or Dana or Jessica or Brady. Um, by all means, email us and we can, we can forward it
0: yep and we can also keep if if you want us to forward a message but you want us to kind of
1: redact your
0: name or whatever, just send just send the words on. we can do that too. I mean, um, I just think there are so many uh, empathetic moms in this community, and there are some ways for you all to chat with each other, but not we're still in the middle in a lot of ways and and we think probably Brady, there's somebody out there with really good advice. So if that's you, email us and we can pass it on to Brady so well, next Tuesday, Megan is already house rules again so we're wrapping up today um, but these house rules episodes have been so fun and next tuesday we're gonna have an episode all about halloween house rules for halloween so this is gonna be really fun uh watch the facebook group that's where folks are submitting their house rules which is also really fun because we can't include all of them in the episode but you can see them all if you're in our facebook group um and that's that's it for today this was fun megan we'll talk to everybody soon
1: talk to you soon